Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Kuhnley. So my name is Lauren Martin. Um, I'm an author, specifically the author of the Book of Moods. Um, I guess you could say I'm a writer. Uh, the Book of Moods is my first book. It's kind of a memoir, self-help. It's really about my journey to becoming a more stable, I think emotionally mature, less moody woman. Ooh, speaking my language, sister. Uh, so normally in these conversations, I'm asking people to share about their mental health journey. Now you have written a book on this. So the, the angle has to be a little bit different because you have shared that with the world, which is incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. So can we, yeah, go ahead. A lot to write. I have to say, like it was really, I, it was a work in progress as in I was writing it when I was, and I talk about in the book when I was going through the moods, like I would try and notice when it was happening, when I was having a bad day. And I still felt the mood, but at least I had some awareness so I could record it and be like, what's happening right now? Why am I feeling this way? But it was very intense. It was especially intense for my husband. Yes. Okay. Oh, there's so much there. Okay. So I do want like that vulnerability. I mean, it also taps into why as a therapist, we talk to clients so much about journaling, you know, the power of putting what's going on into words. And a lot of people picture, you know, that like middle school girl that we've seen in the movies, like sitting in her window seat, like dear diary, you know, and that feels really daunting or it feels really cheesy or like, what, how is this going to help me? But exactly what you're saying, kind of stepping out of it a little bit in, in an observant way. Yep. And it processing through it. Yeah. It gives you perspective. So all of a sudden you're not, I think what's so scary about having a mood or, you know, feeling overwhelmed is that you feel trapped in the middle of it and you can't get out. But when you write about it, you're able to realize you can see it from a new perspective and you kind of get that distance that I think you need to start helping yourself. Yeah. It feels less consuming. Yeah. And it's also just, I can imagine, especially in the editing process, when you're going back and looking at what your thoughts were in the heat of the moment, woo, that's special. It was extremely humbling. I was very like, I mean, I talk about it in the book, like, you know, and I've gotten, it's weird because I've gotten such positive feedback and then, and not from the demographics I thought, you know, it was, I would say my mom's, I thought my mom was going to be like this. I don't like this. This is like not resonating with me. She loved it. Her friends love it. And they're, you know, in their sixties. And then I'm getting more flack from younger women who are like, you know, this isn't, these aren't real issues. You have privilege. Like, and I agree. I, you know, of course I have privilege and I come from definitely a, like a privileged uh-huh. white background, but at the same time, a mood is a mood. And what my issue was the big things in life, like miscarrying death, uh-huh. um, those things that cause real trauma and real pain. I didn't want to write about that because mm-hmm. those deserve to be felt and those deserve to be, you know, acted out and, grieved and you should have your own process, but it's more the little things that I was writing about. Like, why is this delayed subway bothering me so much? And why am I letting it ruin my whole day? You know, why is this silly little thing pushing me over the edge? And I think 
it was a humbling experience to write because it's it's embarrassing sometimes sees how we can like be put our buttons can be pushed by these small things right but that's really what it was about it's like these small things can't derail my day and ultimately my life so i yeah. need to get a control on them okay i didn't realize that was an intentional choice then to pick these things that were quote unquote smaller or more benign yeah yeah I mean, of course there's like but yeah because moods to me like something big happening isn't a mood that's an event that's like worthy of emotions but you know i think i talk about you know having a pimple like missing you know having um missing my birthday thing um i talk about a fight with my mom those are not things that should cause me to to be upset or to you know break down and instead they were causing issues. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the interesting point, right? Is that we do kind of should on ourselves like that. Like this shouldn't be such yeah. a big deal. And yet at the same time, obviously the book is all around the context of it. It's valid though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. Our, our emotions are always valid. They're always telling us something. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get to the root of like, why is this, what is this telling me? And like, what is, what button is this pushing right now? Cause it's clearly yeah. pushing a button. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we, it's intense for you, intense for Jay. In what way? Well, I feel like it's always hard, you know, when you live with someone, um, to, you experience their emotions and it's been proven that you can catch emotions. So I talk about kind of the science and psychology behind it. Like our facial expressions give us away more than we realize. Mm-hmm. So even when I try and hide not being upset, my husband picks up on it yeah. and everyone actually picks up on it. And so it just goes to show like, you know, when you get a handle on your moods, you actually get a bigger handle on like your interactions in life in general. And it's one of those um, domino effects. Mm-hmm. So it's like, have you ever like had a bad encounter with like a saleswoman or something like their mood affects you? Totally. That's what was happening. And it, it was really starting to affect my relationship because my husband doesn't get as affected. And I know some men do, but I do talk about the psychology of why women are more affected by moods than men. Sure. Um, and why we're more predisposed to anxiety um, and like PTSD. So I was definitely having more more moods throughout the day and it was tiring for him and it was you know exhausting and he just wanted a happy wife and like he wanted to do stuff together and instead it's like I would just be in a funk like Uh half the time yeah well you're you're experiencing the moods and then you're putting the spotlight on them too yeah 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 Yeah. well and I also I found myself wondering as I read it did you feel a pressure and do you feel a pressure to be that stable, emotionally mature woman that you mentioned? Because here you are having done the research and having, you know, knowing all of these things and yet, okay. Yeah. I I felt that, you know, it was great because writing it, you know, I have a a nice community and I would write newsletters and be like, oh, you know, I'm having a bad day. I'm having a shitty week. I'm in a bad mood. And then once I wrote the book, I was like, can I still write like this? Yeah. Um, Because I don't want them to think the book doesn't work because the book worked. I'm a totally different person. My parents, they, it was so funny. (laughs) Do you want us to do your promo video for the book? Because we can attest that you are much calmer. That's awesome. But at the end of the day, I, of course I still feel moods. Like I still feel upset and i just feel i don't let the moods overtake me and they don't last as long and they don't occur as often that's basically what happened and i still have bad days like everyone um but it's just not as frequent yeah it's definitely not as long yeah i i get that because sometimes i have even you know as a therapist that imposter syndrome too like of course i know all the skills (laughs) 
And by the way, and this is what I always say, people are human first. So I know I show up and quote unquote, do it wrong sometimes or struggle through things. But yeah, so I I wondered that as the author of something that you even classify as (laughs) self-help, that there would be an expectation that goes along with that. But I imagine that's what draws your community to you though, too, is that there's that authenticity and vulnerability. And that includes how the struggle is still real sometimes. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, you know, we are human and it just sometimes what I wanted from the book was I didn't expect it to change anyone's life. What I wanted was for one person when they read it to get one piece of advice that helped alter their thinking about one thing. Mm -hmm. To me, that's a huge breakthrough. Mm -hmm. Um, If, you know, you can start feeling better about yourself, if you can maybe just one tiny mantra sticks with you. Yeah. And that mantra, you, so you're still, yeah, I'm sure you're still going to have moods, but maybe you have one less mood now. Yeah. One more technique to use. Sure. And the intensity of it. And I think what's cool about it is there, there are a lot of, you know, therapists words out there and mental health professionals words out there, but having it from just somebody, you know, who's just a regular person <laughs> and I use quotes, right? Whatever, Cause you know what I mean by that. That's yeah. not your profession, but you um, can share some of that real life example that feels more accessible to people. Yeah. And I was, you know, in therapy. So I felt like I was taking the techniques from my therapist and kind of instilling them in the book and then, you know, reading scientific journals. So it's kind of, and then I was, you know, I did see like a mystic. And so I was, it was a hodgepodge of like all different things that resonated with me. I love that. Um, but there's definitely some CBT tools in there. Yeah. Yeah. And so when did you first start therapy? Like, when did you know that was should be a part of your journey? <laughs> that was the, I mean, that was the catalyst. I had a huge fight. You know, those fights you have with your family and it's just kind of like everything I've been bottling up is going to come to the surface. And it was kind of like, I was fighting. This was really bad. I was, you know, not in control of myself or my emotions. I was, I had everything from the outside. Like I should have been happy, but I just had this, you know, anger in me. And I kept getting like, everything would rock me or like push me off. So I was actually looking, I was on a vacation with my husband and my parents in New Orleans and I just had a meltdown. Like mm-hmm. I just, I lost it. I, I definitely had a drink in me mm-hmm. and I just went off and my parents were like, we don't want to see the rest of vacation. And, you know, we expect when we do see you again, which who knows when that will be, we expect you to be in therapy because like, we think you need to like figure out what's going on with you. And I was just like, so at that point, like embarrassed and weakened. And I was like, it's time, it's time Mm -hmm. for me to like, look at myself and deal with what's going on inside. And that's when I started. Yeah. Did you fight it for a while before that? Like internally? I mean, mean, like, yeah, Yeah. I just think there, you know, I think the main reason I talk to my friends about this, about therapy is it's not therapy itself. It's finding the right therapist is difficult. It's like dating. So it's like, how many times am I going to go expose myself to this stream, to a new stranger till I find the right one? And then you know, I always know I'm going to cry in therapy. So I'm like, oh, I don't feel like crying in front of someone. But I always, the first time I went, I felt so good after. It was Mm. just like so freeing to like let it out and have someone listen to me and kind of reframe my thoughts in a way. Like let me, as we talked about, like change perspective and see something. Yeah, that that is so daunting. And I tell people that too, it is is like dating. And that, that match is so important, but it's like, once you do start telling your story, then I always hear people say like, I don't want to do it again and have to start over. Yeah. Uh, So I get that. But then at that point you felt like your back was to the wall. You had no choice, but to follow it through. 
Exactly. And and then you get into a rapport and then even if they're, you know, the guy I went to, he wasn't the right fit in the end. And I eventually went to another therapist, but I stayed with him, like, I think uh, six weeks mm-hmm. and that was good. And that was good enough to get me at least comfortable with therapy. That's and right. Like, okay. Now I'm going to keep yeah. this going. Did you have conversations with either therapist as you were writing this about the book specifically? I did. However, I kind of wanted to keep it separate. Like I kind yeah. of like a little embarrassed. Well, one, I was like, I don't want them to read it. And then think like, you know, this isn't, you know, I took their advice and <laughs> two, I just, you know, I always wanted to keep it more about me and less about my book or my career. Sure. And so yeah, I tried not to keep it, but I did take some of the best advice and definitely used it. Yeah. But that's an interesting line. Um, because it's all so intertwined. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Then you mentioned earlier about how mom and her peers love the book. And I definitely was wondering that. Like you, because you exposed some family shit in this book. Oh, she was nervous. And like, I think a lot of people were nervous. I mean, her and my, <laughs> my parents were the most nervous. And then they read it. And I think, you know, they were like, all right, this could have been worse. I could have really like uh-huh. gone deep into the dark family secrets. But it was more <laughs> as the book is about me. It's not about it. Yeah. And I don't really slam anyone. It's more just like, you know, this happened, you know, I talk about, you know, my aunt coming over for Christmas and, you know, saying something about me being a bitchy bride. And then, you know, me obviously flashing out at my mom, because someone must've told her that. Uh And then there was the horrible trip to Spain where I (laughs) kind of have too much tequila Uh and also lash out. And yeah, like I, I think she was like, you know what, it could have been worse, and it was more about her, yeah. not about us. Which I love that she she was able to respect that and kind of give you that space because yeah. she she still could have seen it as a reflection of her or right, like the narratives that people come up with. Well, I'm hoping the book itself helped to realize it's not about her because I, I talk about that and how the reason we lash out so much at friends and family is we always put our ideas onto them and are like, well, I think this way, so they should think this way too. And really they're a whole totally different person with their own thoughts and ideas and reactions to situations. So yeah. I'm hoping she took kind of a lesson from the book and realized like, this isn't about you. It's That's about right. That's right. And I'm sure maybe other people that were written about in the book felt the same way. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And I, you know, one, one other thing too, that really um, jumped out to me was around the friendship loss. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a grief that a lot of people don't give a lot of validity to. I don't think we talk about it enough as a whole in society. And I think the media really misportrays women friendships and, you know, how hard they are and how, okay sacred they are and you know we i i actually know a lot of women who don't feel like they have that best friend anymore in their 30s and they've lost it whether it be you know just life just moving away different life stages you know growing apart is a big thing we we change so much from like you know high school when we have our best friends in college when we have our best friends to then 30 40 and it's like we're different people now and our priorities change and we really do lose friendships and I think it hurts and it's because no one talks about it we almost yeah. don't grieve it yes so it just kind of stays there with us yeah and in it in a lot of ways like that the pain is different you know and it's um it it doesn't 
like you just said, it stays with you. I, I mean, I remember being ghosted by a friend. Um, God, I guess it was like sophomore year of high school was kind of the last or of college. And I still have that visceral feeling when I think about her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I, the friendship breakup I had, you know, it's been six years now since we've, you know, said, I don't want to speak to you anymore. And I still, I dream about her sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, and it's, they always say like, oh, well, at least you have the memories, but I find the memories quite painful. I'm like, we had Agreed. such an amazing history and I miss that. But then I also try to remind myself like, but then there was a reason it didn't work. Yeah. And there was a reason you, you know, That's we right. to continue together. But I think female friendships is something, you know, if I do write another book, I might, I would love to explore. I just yes. don't think anyone's talking about it and like i hate how on tv shows they're always showing like you know a girl and her six best friends that's right and they're always getting brunch every sunday and i don't know anyone really like that i know a few people but not right agree agree and especially kind of in the highlight reel of social media that that has taken off too um like you said the brunching or just the girl tribe kind of thing and like yeah i get that sentiment but it's really hard going back to this idea of it's like dating it's harder as an adult female to find another female that you vibe with on that authentic deep level exactly and and i think then we start to feel more ashamed so it's like this thing where like we're ashamed we don't have it so then we don't really reach out because we don't want anyone to think like i need friends and then it just keeps going around yeah yeah Oh, the shame thing. That's the other thing I wrote down that I want to talk about, like with the Spain story, you know, I felt again, as a therapist reading it, I felt like an exhale, like, yes, girl, like, because the antidote to shame by, you know, my girl, Brene Brown is shining light on it and Mm -hmm. speaking it. And so you putting it out there in that way, it felt like a release. And Nora Ephron always says, like, your worst moments are the best party stories. So that was something I really learned through this book. Like, these were the moments that kept me awake at night. Like, mm. the things, you know, when you can't sleep and your mind is going and you're like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed I did that. Mm. That was, like, those moments. And writing about it, I was finally able to be like, this is funny. And I have a story. And I have enough for a book. Like, <laughs> so I'm not going to be ashamed of these things that happened to me. Yes. Yes. Okay. So quotes and mantras. Um, I'm, I guess I'm like 200 plus thousand other women that really resonate with those. <laughs> so yeah. So how, how did you start words of women and, and just tell me a little bit about that process. So I started words of women. Um, basically I felt like Instagram was really toxic. Like I just felt like all I saw was like, you know, girls having brunch with their 20 friends or like hot girls models. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is not making me feel good. What makes me feel good is like, I don't want to say inspirational quotes because I think some can be quite cheesy, but Mm -hmm. like really interesting things that make you think or make you think about something differently or in, and some inspiration on, but if it was going to be an inspirational quote, I was thinking, I love women's stories and Mm -hmm. how a woman, you know, got to where she is or, you know, why she thinks the way she thinks. So I actually had this idea for a book of like, I kind of had the idea for the book of moods. It's kind of a a long story. And I basically was like 23, 24 when I had the idea Mm -hmm. and I was a writer, but I wasn't like known enough to get a book deal. So I, 
you know, couldn't get an agent, couldn't get an agent. I was like, I'm just going to start an Instagram account Mm. and all the things that make me feel better, that kind of like get me out of my moods. I'm going to start putting like on this account, like really interesting quotes or psychological things or just things that make me feel good. And it slowly grew and I kind of forgot about the book. And I got really into the account and finding these cool quotes and finding these women. And then someone reached out to me and was like, oh my God, have you ever thought of writing a book? These are so, I love like this compilation, like where do you find all this? And I was like, yes, yeah, I would love to like share this with more women. And that's kind of how it went full circle. Yeah, love it. And just kind of manifesting it out of a space that was really genuine for you. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful way to do it. I always say anything I post is something that resonates with me. It's not mm-hmm. like, oh, this will do well. I know like women will like it. It's like, no, this in this moment helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. So I used to, I don't do it as much anymore, really write why the quote helped me. Like I would really sh- share with women, like I'm having a bad day. Like I'm feeling worthless. So this quote really like helped me reframe, um, which I should probably do that more. I've just been super busy that I've more just been posting the quote. Yeah. But uh, I really like to put a backstory to why the quote helped me. Yeah, I like that. And it's inspiring as females. And I, I have two daughters, or, you know, so I, my worldview is always em- about empowering them <laughs> and creating, you know, space for that in a way that, you know, even I raised by a feminist liberal mother, um, you know, so I, there definitely was space for that. But even in ways that I didn't have just generationally or with social media, all of that. So it is a very, it's a positive space to land. Oh, well, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. And that's really what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I also saw your cat jump in back there. Oregano. Is that his name? Oregano. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I love that because my dog's name is Parmesan. So oh. we... Oh, it's the two best Italian. <laughs> right? Um, okay. So I, I imagine you probably get this question a lot and it, it it's probably annoying and hard to answer, but about like go-to people. With, with whether it's with their wisdom or quotes or oh, yeah. yeah like are there just any yeah people that that can't get it wrong <laughs> yeah I have a um I'm trying to think I love oh now that you say it of course I can't remember but whenever I'm I always wish like oh there's more but I've used all her quotes um, I think now let me just look really quick yeah look it I, up we can edit it yep okay um I love women writers, but that's also because I'm a writer. Yeah. Um, so like, um, this is hard. This is a hard one for me. And I, I know, been, I, I know. I have asked this before and I still choke every time. No, you can also be like, no, because how could you consolidate when that's your... Yeah. Well, no, I will say I do love Joan Rivers. I'm like, I don't know why she's very like, she has such um, a stigma against her. And I think just for the plastic surgery, but she was an icon of a woman. Like she was a strong woman. Like she went into this field of comedy before women did. And like, it took a lot. And Mm -hmm. so she has a lot of like quotes about like being strong and pushing through that I really resonate with. And she really wasn't, is an advocate in her quotes of like speaking your mind. Like, I think one of her best quotes is like, I succeeded by saying what everyone else was thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I just love her. I just love like brash women who are like unafraid to be themselves. Unapologetic about it. Exactly. So her, um, I do love Audre Lorde, like Toni Morrison. Uh Um, Nina Simone has some good quotes, but there's so many. And that's what's, I I remember when I was at like 10,000 followers, my sister was like, 
I mean, how are you going to keep this going? There's only so many quotes. I was like, are you kidding? Do you know how many women there are in the world? The problem is they're just underrepresented. So like, you don't know a famous woman because like no one talks about them. And Virginia Woolf was the one who said, you know, anonymous was a woman um, for most of us. Yes. Yeah. And I just have to say for the Joan Rivers thing, because that, you know, so I'm a body image eating disorder therapist. And so there's that piece where it wasn't just her own plastic surgery, but like the commenting on women's bodies too. Right. So that, that's where that, that, that line of like, you might be thinking it, but does it perpetuate this? I forgot she did that, that show, that show, which I never even watched. So I, I wasn't even really a fan of her when she was alive. Yeah. I was a fan once I watched her documentary and was like, Oh wow, this woman is like really iconic. And she kind of definitely towards the end was just a little too aggressive trying to stay relevant. I get that. Yeah, I get that. But, uh, uh, you know, the fierceness, I think that must be like what you're drawn to. I'm drawn to that too. Exactly. And, and, and what, yeah, the fierceness of women is so, it's so badass. It's, it does, and it's weird because it's, it shouldn't be rare, but it is kind of rare to yeah. see very bold women because, you know, they just will, they put themselves in a place to get torn down. And yeah. I think they torn down so much more than men and picked apart and, talked about so like to put yourself in that position you have to be extremely thick-skinned and strong and yeah yep can I ask how you source some of the some of the quotes it's really it's really hard actually it's it's a labor of love like it will take hours for me to find one because it has to be you know the right quote the the right woman because like there's a lot of women you know sometimes people get triggered by and you know Joan Rivers is actually a good example but like JK Rowling for example people are definitely on the fence about her and I you know I don't always want it to be a place of debate and like I there's a lot of anger out there so I try and stay away from anyone who's controversial at the moment um of course I like to shed light on women who you know do you know what I'm saying about that totally yes I just I, I, there's I like that there's thoughtfulness to it. Um, I don't have the energy to to because people will be like take this down shame on you and then I'm like oh should I take it down like is this being insensitive? So beyond that though like I don't want to be repetitive with like the same women over and over because like I would probably post like a lot of Joan Didion quotes and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. finding new women like some days I'll be like I really want to find like a badass scientist like a mm-hmm. woman something. So it's finding that scientist. And then she might not have any quotes. So then you have to really research and dig in. Maybe, And then it takes hours and then you have to write the bio of her. So it just, it usually stems from like, I'll be watching something on TV and maybe someone's name will come up. Like, you know, a character in a a movie or just like a celebrity. Um, And then I'll be, ooh, I'm interested in them all of a sudden. And then I go down like a rabbit hole on that person. Yeah, I like that. And I like the obscurity, potential obscurity doesn't matter. Cause it's yeah. more about the content. Exactly. It's really just a, it's truly just whatever makes me feel good in the moment. Like yeah. oh, this woman, it's intriguing to me. Oh, or I'll see a quote and be like, Hmm, who's this by? And then I'll uh-huh. Google it and it's from a woman. Now I like need to know everything about her. Yeah. And I have a quote document with, um, I think it's 600 pages. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just every quote that I like, I put on it with the, with wow. The so sometimes I'll source from there, but it has to be for the mood that I'm in. So like 
I haven't used like half of them because sometimes I'm just like, nah, that doesn't, doesn't fit with me right now. Yeah. So you're basically like always open minded and listening too, yeah. which is also a really cool space to be in. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of, and it's, it's like, my, my husband's always like, it'd be so much easier if you just like could like schedule the quotes and like just have them. So they just run. And I'm like, but it's all about timing and not how I'm feeling. And I think how I'm feeling is how hundreds of other women are feeling at the exact same moment. So like, that's why I think the account grew. And I think that's why it seems authentic and it resonates because it's not just like inspirational quote that I like found a week ago and it's just been planned to go. I really, I really respect that. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's cool because that, that shows your um, commitment to it too. Yeah. It, to the it, mission of it. Mm -hmm. It's it's a commitment, but it's also like a love. Like it's like a true, like it's my passion project. So it's like, yeah. my husband's always like, oh, what are you doing with this? Like, I mean, at what point is it done? And like, and I'm like, I, never, like, it's just, it's, it's, and it, people always want me to define it. Like, mm -hmm. oh, well, like, why don't you do like sponsored ads and like put yourself on it more? And I'm like, that's not what it's about. Like, it's just, it is what it is and you can't define it and you probably can't monetize it, but I'm okay with that. Ooh, there's a big lesson in that too for females or, you know, like yeah. just the permission to let it be. <laughs> let it be. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing. Everyone's always trying to change it and define it and understand it. And I'm like, it makes me happy mm -hmm. and it makes 280 something thousand women happy. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to change it just because it doesn't make sense to you or it doesn't, it doesn't mm. seem profitable. Preach. Yeah. We love, we love labels and definitions and to make things feel more black and white, yeah. but um, yeah, I'm against that too. <laughs> uh, what are you most proud of? What am I most proud of in life? Yeah. Whatever comes to mind. Yeah. Just uh, uh, having been a woman who's walked through all of this, you know, and shared it with the world. I'm proud of my vulnerability and my ability to share my stories and not let, and I've, I've gotten a lot of flack in the past, especially from my mom. Cause I write a newsletter and I will talk about like, I had a miscarriage and she did not want me to talk about it. She was like, that's, you know, that's private. And I was like, but sharing my pain makes me feel better. And I think it's going to make other women feel better. So like, I'm constantly wrestling in the back of my mind with like my mom and even um, other people in my life being like, huh. I don't think you should share this. So like, that's, I think the hardest thing in my life and constantly pushing through that to me is a testament to my strength and my ability to be open and be vulnerable, even when it might put me in an uncomfortable position. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes me a writer, just being like, I'm not as afraid to put this out there even if it makes you uncomfortable. Yes. Ugh. I mean, and that's the whole point of this podcast too. <laughs> it's, I feel like miscarriage is another thing, like friendship breakups that nobody talks about mm -hmm. or not. Yes. And so I, you know, when I had mine and then all of a sudden people come out of the woodworks and mm -hmm. then you're like, oh my gosh, what it's like one in four women or something. Yeah, it is one in four. I wish I, and if, I think women go into pregnancy being like, I'm going to have this baby. But in reality, there's a 25% chance you're not going to have this baby. And I wish I had known that not saying like women should be scared going into it, sure. but I think it would have taken this, the pressure out of when it happened off me, like this yes. was my fault. And it would have also made me less like something's wrong with me. Yes. Been like, Oh, this was a 25% chance. Not this. Yes. Like, oh, this is crazy. This never happens to anyone. And it, of course it happened to me. And Right. And then having the community mm -hmm. around you of whatever, whoever that is of, you know, just to support and yeah. own your story. So 
yeah, I, I think vulnerability is the most courageous thing. Um, and so I'm glad that you're proud of that too. <laughs> so, okay, let's jump into crazy question time. Okay. So I, uh, these are just kind of random. Um, book or Kindle? And what are you book, currently reading? Book, book. Um, I'm currently reading, it was turned into a Amazon show. It's The Pursuit of Love by Nancy Mitford. Okay. She was one of six sisters back in the 1940s. And they were like very, um, they were from English society, but they were kind of rebellious and they were all very different. The sisters, like one ended up being a communist one um she's a writer the one who wrote this another one was um married like a prince and and it's just this story of trying like she's trying to find love in a conventional way and her cousin is trying a different path of like being more rebellious and this is in the 1940s so yeah interesting cool um if you could perfect which we know perfection is not a thing any hobby what would it be? Baking. Baking. I've gotten really into baking and, and cooking more, but I don't know why baking. I think baking is very soothing because I guess I like following a recipe because it's the only time in life I really follow something. Yeah. And I'm you know a writer and I'm in marketing. So both are very creative and like out of the box. And so I think it gives me a nice channel to be like, I'm just going to follow this recipe and make something delicious. And, and I like, and I think that's my love language, sharing like food, like making stuff. Okay. So it's really been, I've really been trying to like, but it's really hard. Like I tried to make an opera cake the other day. And like, wow. That was really intense. Like, <laughs> When I watch the Great British Bake Off, I'm like, yeah. I'm going to do that next. And then I'm like, no, that was oh, hard. So I'd like, try it. I'd like to get better. Oh, I wish we lived close then, if that's your love language. Because <laughs> it is so, I loathe anything in the kitchen. So, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I would give you stuff all, because my husband's like, get this out of here. Like, oh. I don't bake anymore. Like, <laughs> oh, it's uh, too funny. Okay, if you could go anywhere in the world to watch a sunrise or sunset, where would you go? I just, it's cliche, but I love Italy. I love, I just, the Amalfi Coast, like you go once it seeps into your blood and I'm just like dying to go back. Yeah. Yeah. Not cliche. I mean, there's a reason it's just, yeah, uh, yeah, I would too. Anything else you'd add just to the conversation around destigmatizing mental health struggles? I think women are especially hard on themselves. Like, I think we feel like we have to be this like perfect woman all the time, like perfect wife, perfect daughter, perfect friend, perfect sister. And so we add a lot more shame when things aren't going well for us mentally. And I think that we need to start like reaching out to each other and like being Mm -hmm. more open about the conversation of like, I'm not having a good day. And like, I need your help or mm-hmm. I need you to work with me here. And I think the way we talk to our partners sh- could shift better. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this book. Like you're not alone and you're not crazy. Like you have these emotions and you're supposed to have them, but like you can find ways to, to better deal with them. And yeah. I think that, I assume that's what you, you know, are trying yes. to push as well. That's right. Because people often like, as you're saying that it makes me think a lot, people are like, how do I dip my toe in the waters of vulnerability? Because you don't want to necessarily be that person that when, you know, your colleague walks by you and says, how are you? You don't want to just like unload, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But we're all tired of, most of us are tired of the rote. I'm fine. 
you know, how are you? So we don't want to do that. So what's the middle ground of, you know, being honest and letting people in, but not dumping and opening the floodgates? I get that question a lot. Yeah. And I think that's something I'm tr- I've been trying to perfect as well. And I think it's like figuring out the right people. Like, you know, when you're in an office, like mm-hmm. if someone asked me at the what, like in the kitchen, how are you? If it's someone I'm like, Ooh, I think this person would resonate with me saying, Oh, I'm having like a shitty day. I'll say it. Um, but if it's just some like, you know, guy from another department, I don't really talk to. So I'm just like, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Right. Right. Or then I think the bigger thing and the big takeaway from the book too, is being aware though, of what your internal experience is so that you can then go find the people where that is. Okay. Exactly. When, when the timing is right too, instead of just keeping it in, internalizing it, letting the shame story spiral or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think, you know, we, I've talked a lot about women, but I think men especially have that burden of like, they definitely don't want to talk about it. Sure. And, you know, therapy, I think is more of a stigma for men than it is for women. And something my husband, I definitely think since being with me, we've been together seven years, like he's definitely become more open with speaking about his feelings He's even gone to therapy yeah, and it's just been really helpful because before he used to bottle it up. And I think a lot of men do that. And then they have those rage attacks. And I was like, this isn't going to work. Like (laughs) you having a melt, like freaking out once a month is not healthy Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. mine's not healthy either. These like little daily breakdowns aren't great either, but we both need to find like a middle road. Yeah. That's been the really cool thing in like interviewing different genders, races, like to understand where the stigma intersects with Mm. all the different layers. Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) Right. Right. And you know, and that again, though, the point is we're all human. So that, that is the idea. And I, and that's, and I think that's why just how, you know, having met you, I was like, yep, we're like, we're speaking that same language. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we're on the same mission. So anyway, thank you for the conversation and taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. This has been so nice. This was like a therapy session. (laughs) Like this is cathartic. Therapy highlight time. First and foremost, one of my favorite things to remind myself and clients is that emotions are data, not directives. So all emotions are valid and they're there to tell us something. We do not have to respond and give in and assign meaning to them in the ways that we might be used to doing really subconsciously. So it really helps to remember that emotions are data, not directives. The other big thing I wanted to talk about that came up in our conversation was around friendship loss and how it doesn't really get a lot of airtime in our society. So we talked about how pop culture makes it seem like friendship should last forever and maybe even look a certain way. And I just wanna remind us that there are seasons for relationships and friendships based on a lot of different factors. And it could be, you know, values, what needs you have, uh, you know, how vulnerable you are with someone, different life circumstances, so many things. Friendships are unique, right? They allow us to feel connected, valued, and have new ways of being with people. These are the people we choose to be in relationship with, right? And so the loss of a friend, which can come via, you know, just a drifting apart, maybe there was something that turned toxic or unhealthy, or maybe even there was death. Any way that the loss of friendship happens can bring grief, just like any grief. And in many ways, there can be different 
layers and unique layers from friendship lost because these are people that have existed in your life in a very unique way. And it doesn't get validated in the same way as losses in romantic or familial relationships. So I just want to remind you that your emotions around this are valid. So allowing yourself to acknowledge the grief and the change that occurs from the loss of a friendship. It's not failure and it's not to be trivialized. With the end, it doesn't mean that positive experiences need to be diminished or invalidated. We can take what we learn from these relationships and assess our current needs and, and our willingness to still put ourselves out there to make new meaningful friendships at the current season of life that we're in. So as always, it's important to remember that multiple emotions can exist, multiple truths can coexist, we can have gratitude for the times in a relationship and a friendship with someone that we had and the love for that person. And we can know that it's run its course and it no longer serves us. Thanks for listening, you guys. So who are you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We are removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy.